Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Stacey Zavicki, aka Sustainable Stewards. We're going to talk about how she does prepping and sustainable agriculture and homesteading. She has a YouTube channel called Sustainable Stewards. Uh, her website also is sustainable-stewards.myspreadshop.com. So, Stacy, thank you for coming. And thank you for inviting me. No problem. If you would, tell me a bit about your background and how you got into homesteading and prepping and all that stuff. Well, I am a native-born Wisconsin cheesehead. And of course, here in Wisconsin, it's agriculture. This is a big egg state. And so you cannot grow up in Wisconsin without having somewhat of a bug to grow something or raise something. (laughs) I grew up on the heels of my great-grandmother, my grandmother, my dad, an entire family who really impressed and imposed self-sufficiency on me. And so I was raised amongst the family that, you know, on my, my earliest memories of, you know, being seven, eight, my great grandmother, who was a product of the Great Depression, telling me, you know, Stacy, don't ever assume that there will always be food on the shelves. Don't ever assume that there will always be good times. You have to produce and you have to be a person that makes things happen for your family, or you can die. So, you know, I was raised with this mindset that, you know, you, you become a producer or the possibilities of the outcome of not doing so are not exactly a good thing. So, mm. you know, sounds like your grandma was, uh, was right. And the timing for that is coming. Absolutely. You know, and, and I was raised in a perfect locale for doing what I do. I mean, at age eight, I was bottle feeding calves, working at a, a dairy farm, bailing hay in the summer. And, you know, and I would work on and off in the dairy industry my entire life from age eight to, to the present day. Ten years ago, I started a CSA, a private food club producing vegetables and fruits. And then a year later, I started producing meats for a CSA and farm sales and and what have you as well. And my whole journey in this was to become self-sufficient. So I didn't have to rely on mills. I didn't have to rely on seed companies and things of this nature to, you know, make my dreams happen. As as you not only, um, you not only produced end products, but you created seeds and you made your own fertilizer and all that stuff too? Well, as far as the seeds go, of course, you know, year one, if you're starting out and you don't have seeds, you know, you buy your seeds. But from that point forward, every year, 
any of the vegetables or the fruits that I can harvest seed from and save the seed, that's what I do. I'm about 75% self-sufficient with the seeds. There are some seeds, of course, in Wisconsin, we just cannot harvest because we don't have enough. That's only a couple weeks. And as far as the feed goes for my layers and for my broilers and things like that, I have milk cows, family milk cows, and we feed raw milk free range off of compost piles, pasture, garden scraps, any kind of food scraps that of course would be waste products from our family. I also frequent local gas stations for their expired milk and even a local restaurant for their waste lettuce and, and, you know, that kind of stuff for the animals. And then of course, that's how we we feed the pigs as well. So we have cows, we have pigs, and we have meat broilers and layers. And yes, my layers do produce. They don't skip a beat on egg production. So what, what was it like uh, running a CSA? Like what were some of the, and can you say what the acronym is? And okay, again, what yes. were some of the challenges in running one? Yeah, a CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. So basically the model is, it is a private food club where you engage and enter into a private contract. I have customers or families coming to me that are paying me ahead for the next seasons of produce or meat. Now they enter into this contract understanding that it's a shared risk contract. So we are joining in the risk so that if God forbid a tornado comes or a drought comes, you know, I get paid, they don't get that reimbursement. But the lovely thing about the model is, is I have my up front labor costs. I, I get paid ahead. So I've got the capital to do do things that most, you know, monoculture farmers don't, you know, a monoculturalist, you know, they plant their corn and they have to wait, you know, four or five, six months to get paid. I get paid in advance. So if there's any equipment, I need hand tools, what have you, I have that revenue up front so that I can go ahead and do that. Now it can be stressful because me as the farmer, you know, my reputation, right? My name is on the line. And even though whether it's, you know, weather challenges, pest challenges, disease challenges, no matter what that is, I have to go above and beyond to overcome those things because I'm not going to just not fulfill my obligation in this contract. I've never done that. Even in my first year I started out, our average temperatures that summer were 55 degrees in Wisconsin. It was so cold. It was one of the most challenging years I could have started. And I still managed to offer them five different vegetables throughout that 21-week season. So, um, yeah, you, you got to go above and beyond. And, and the growing season here is so short that, you know, so for me to offer 21 weeks to my food members or my share members, you know, it can be quite stressful, uh, but it's, it's truly a rewarding thing as well, you know. So what were some of the uh, aspects of running a CSA that were unexpected, either good or bad or tough? Well, I'll be honest with you. It, the community part was rough, right? So part of that is, is if the farm has any need for help, you know, the members, are, you know, I give a huge discount on the food because it's paid up front, right? So if you went to a grocery store and let's just say you bought a cabbage and that cabbage head was five bucks, this is just an example, you know, I would charge $2, right? I'm giving a huge discount because I'm getting paid in advance. And then if there's any community type issues, 
you know, I reach out for help from the members. If we, we would get a storm and I had like storm cleanup and stuff like that, but that's the part is that nobody, and I've been doing this years now, you cannot find people that want to work. You can't find people that even want to just participate in sometimes fun farm activities. That's, that's the hard part. The other part is is getting people to understand that you aren't say uh, you're not you're not their nanny right it's not my job to look up recipes for you to fix your food and find out how to use it it's it's not my job to handpick different items see i i provide a half bushel or a bu- bushel of produce everybody gets the same box and so you make with it what what you want when you get it and the other aspect of it is is Sometimes families go on vacation and that's great. I can hold back that um, share, but getting them to realize that it'd be, it'd be best if they picked it up on the farm ahead or gave it to somebody else. Otherwise they lose out. It was just those kind of uh, customer issues. That was the biggest challenges. And then of course, getting people to realize that natural uncorrupted food is not pretty food. It can be pretty, but the average heirloom tomato that was grown out in a field without pesticides, without chemical fertilizers, you know, it's not a cookie cutter tomato that you get in a grocer, right? It's, it's, most supplements are taken on faith and can take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent, plus shipping and handling, at GeniusPollen.com. It may not look very good, but the taste should be a lot better, right, if you can get past the blemishes. The taste is fun, phenomenal. There's, there's absolutely no comparison between a homegrown, on sustain in a sustainable manner, may I add, because I have a 100% no-till system here. So I have I have living soil with with a huge microbiome base that just permeates into that food with the flavors and the sweetness. And so there's no compare, comparison when it comes to that and the nutrition and the vitamins that the food offers. But people have been so boxed into this corporate commercial mindset. That when they see something that is doesn't look like what's in that grocer, you know, it kind of turns them a bit and then you have to educate them. So my biggest job through this entire endeavor has been completely educating people from start to finish on on the process of growing, on the process of harvesting and what food really should be. Uh, How did you get people to sign up for it and how hard was that? What was involved? Actually, that's the easiest part. Once you have your contract written up, you know, you got to make sure you have all that legalese and everything correct. And that's, that's all good. Then you just hop on Facebook marketplace, Craigslist, any, any type of social media, and you can advertise that way. Another avenue for people specifically here in Wisconsin is a magazine called Farm Shed, where they will do a publication to regions of either Northern Wisconsin, Central Wisconsin, and Southern Wisconsin of farms where you just, it's, it's like a $20 ad where you advertise in there. And other states have similar magazines and things like that. There's also uh, websites online, such as Food Hub and things like this that you can advertise on. And people do find you. And the best advertising is word of mouth. If you're already a small producer, you know, working at a farmer's market, 
you get your flyers out at them farmers markets and uh, you advertise there. You also a great avenue for me was was to go to the HR departments at manufacturing companies. One of the things I found out very quickly is, is that businesses that have 50, 60, 70, you know, 200 employees, they have a lot of concern about the health of their employees, both physically because they got to keep their businesses going, but also financially due to insurances and things like that. So when you go to these companies and you go to the HR department, a lot of times they will allow you to do at a lunch hour period or what have you, a 20 minute seminar on what you're offering. Some of them will even let, you know, give you 10 shares to bring in and pay for the pay for their customers or their employees. And they'll they'll let their place of business be a drop spot for you to meet people to drop off the boxes and things like that. So that's it. There's there's a lot of different avenues and you think it'd be harder to get people excited about it, but it, it really isn't. If you start out and you really put your mindset to it that, all right, I got 21 weeks, I got cool weather crops they start out with hot crops and I go back to cool and, and I focus on getting five to seven different varieties and different, you know, different vegetables, different fruits. And you keep that variety going. People generally are very happy about it. And then you throw in some free range, grain free eggs and people just get ecstatic, you know? So um, it's been a exciting walk for sure. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. What about the uh, like the the price for the membership? What does that run like ballpark typically? I know it depends, but and what yeah, was like I mean, uh, the margins good or were they real thin? Or? It's like a half bushel for twenty one weeks is anywhere from three fifty to three seventy five, and then of course a full bushel um, anywhere from six forty to six seventy five. It depends depending on the year, of course, you know. But most CSAs are for a full share, they're right about at that 625 to 650 mark for our area anyways. I mean, if you're around a, you know, depending on what state you're in and what city and things, you know, of course they could be a little more pricey, but even, even in that case, you're going to find that CSAs are far more reasonable on prices than the grocers. And you can't put a price on health. You can't put a, a price on clean food. You know, that's, that's, right. that's the thing. Was it profitable or did you need like a lot of members in order to even get to a break even um, or what was it like? It, it is. Pro- now, my first year I started, I started out with 10 members. And then in the second year, I went up to 25. The third year, I went up to 35 and then 55 and so on. Now, I'm one person, mind you. So my target area is 55 to 70 at the most because there's not enough hours in the day for me to do any more than that. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it grows fast. And 
profitability the first year I broke even. But the first year I was buying things like, you know, sand and plants so that I could plant 600 tomatoes without bending and breaking my back. Four roll cedar, earth waste, you know, all these different types of cedars I was buying year one. And uh, so, yeah, I, I broke even the first year, but I was profitable the second year. That's pretty good to break even yep. the first year and then be profitable. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And all, you know, all my food is paid for then on top of it too. So, I mean, you're making money in the sense that, you know, you're not buying groceries yourself. So that first year, but after that, you know, it's very easy to become profitable. And there's, there's quite a few CSAs up here that within five years, we're up to 200, 300, 400 plus members. They're very popular in Wisconsin. Actually, actually, Wisconsin was the first state uh, to start a CSA, in fact. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's a designation under the law that this is a particular type of organization that has certain responsibilities and rights, or is it, no. uh, does it fall into like a generic business type situation? It, 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 it is not a, there's no laws per se from uh, the government that either dictate or license or anything like that. It is, it is genuinely a private food club where you engage in a private transaction. And, and in most cases, you know, you're, you know, many of the times the members are coming right on your property to pick up the food. You may go to a location to meet somebody in a parking lot to to give them their boxes. But outside of that, every, everything's private. And, you know, you have to look into your state's regulations. Like here in Wisconsin, as long as you're not food processing, so I can pick the bean, right? Or I can pick the watermelon, but I can't cut the watermelon. That That's considered food processing. But as long as I harvest that food, I can harvest raw food and I can sell it. And there is no government, you know, overreach whatsoever in that sense. Do you still do it or are you focused more on the YouTube channel and other activities? No, I'm still doing it. I'm not, um, I'm not quite the same. I'm doing bulk sales now. I have adapted from the 21 week, you know, having boxes prepare, you know, stuff clean and prepared every week to seasonal bulk buys. So right now we're in the bean season. So, you know, I got beans flying off the shelf, you know, um, but it's still a, a private type of, of situation. And I have with this focused, like you said, more of my attention to Sustainable Stewards, the YouTube channel. And I've also started designing sustainable gardens for different businesses and residential areas and, and customers. You know, so there's been doors opening outside of just the, you know, being a small producer. I just, you know, just a couple of years ago, I, I had the opportunity to design a one and a half acre sustainable garden for Sand Valley Golf Resort in central Wisconsin, which is like a big deal here. And it's it's in the middle of the desert. So I had to create a Garden of an Eden in the middle of what is considered the most rare type of landmass in Wisconsin, which is all sand. So um, it was a challenge. I took it up and it's been it's been very successful. So there's things like that that doors that have opened up for me that I've been very blessed and, and happy to accept, you know. Um, and then just going into school, schools and churches and, and different venues and teaching people about sustainable agriculture, um, homesteading, you know, uh, just everything that goes along with that. Uh, permaculture, food pre- preservation, canners, everything, you know. Have you, have you seen the, which groups seem to be like your CSA? Was it just individuals or did you get a school or a church to sign up for it or you, you didn't go that way? 
Most of the time it's individual families. I would, I did get groups of people through businesses, if that makes sense, would, would come in on it. And I would get businesses that would give people like two free weeks, they'd pay ahead and to, to get their employees to, you know, encourage them to sign up so they, they were eating healthier. But for the most part, it's individual households that join the CSA. Did you see interest from any companies or groups? Or, or oh, not? yeah. I mean, I, as a matter of fact, my husband's employer, the, the president, and there's, you know, a lot of them in there are, are very open to it. And I've contacted some other businesses along the way and, you know, didn't join the CSA as far as, you know, we're going to pay for 10 people to have this, but opened the door for me to give each one of their employees my information and get them to sign up as, as individuals. So, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't gone to specific churches and asked them to join that. I've I've spoke at different churches about what I do, but I haven't asked them to join as a, as a conglomerate, so to speak. Oh, did you get any good feedback from organizations or churches or like you came, the members liked it and that was it? Well, yeah, I've I've had members sign up through those organizations, of course, mm. and I always get good feedback and, and people are more than welcome to spread the word and join individually and things like that. But my whole goal when I speak to churches or schools is to get them doing what I'm doing. You know, I look specifically at like, like churches, most of them have an acre, two, three acres of property. Mm. And it's in the, and it's usually in food deserts in the middle of cities, or it's in very affluent parts of the city. It just, you know, or out in the country, it doesn't matter. They have plenty of acreage where they could have a full functioning garden and a full, you know, full production going on there and either be offering it to the needy, to the poor, or starting their own CSAs and, you know, doing that for their parishioners or their community. That's kind of my goal is to get people, you know, to get them interested in what I'm doing because I can only do so much. You know, I'm, I, I've got a 30, you know. But did you see that uh, these places were interested? Yeah. Were they just afraid that they couldn't do it themselves? Or like, you know, why wouldn't the churches and the other places you've spoken to take the reins and do it themselves? Like, did they, um, the were they just listened thing- and they're like, they just didn't do anything? Um, they, they get excited. A lot of them get excited and they'll start out. The biggest thing, like I said, is getting people to help. Like for instance, I always offered a a food, a work share. I don't ever want money to be issue why people can't eat clean food. That's never been a thing for me. If you're a barter, you want to, you want, you know, I have a gal that bartered me her knitting and crocheting for my free zoom meet for my zoom meetings and my (laughs) conferences. You know, I never want money to be an issue. So I always offered a couple um, work shares. Well, you get people that come out. Okay, great. I'm going to get this food. And it's like, all right, you got to work, you know, three or four hours a week. That's it. And I mean, here's an example. I had one time, I had a father, I had an 18 year old son and a 16 year old son and they wanted to work up. And I'm just going to say it. At the time I was... 40 years old. I'm a 40 year old woman. And I worked all three of them under the table and they barely got a thing done by the end of four hours. And, you know, it's frustrating because I feel I'm providing a valuable, you know, a product, you know, a superior product. And so therefore, when you have somebody on your property that says, Hey, I want to work for this, you feel that they should actually work for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, maybe it's, is it a 
is it real hard physical labor and um no maybe that no. maybe that's what the problem was or no no because I, I have curtailed my growing methods completely permanent raised no-till beds with a hay mulch system so it's not like pulling weeds or anything that most of the time what it is is you know pruning tomatoes and and i teach of course i teach how to do this or harvesting for that date, that week's pick up, pick up for the rest of the members, harvesting, and then just washing vegetables off. But, you know, it's that part is for farmers, I think is frustrating. And, and that's typically, I'll be honest with you, you know, working in the dairy industry for years. That's, that's the problem that agriculture has as a whole. It's not, it's not that people don't want to work because people will work, but it just seems in the past 15 years, People want to put the do the path of least resistance. You know, they just they just want to work enough, you know, just to get by. That going above and beyond seems to be a thing of a past. And I and I don't mean to offend anybody. It's just we're in this we're in a cycle. And I think um, you're not go you know working hard to offend people and going out of your way and putting in tons of effort. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, it's too bad. It's, too bad uh, People don't put in a lot of effort not to be offended and to listen instead, but that right that doesn't work either. Right, you know, and and when you get into the agricultural field, you you know you hear there's the politics behind it, right? You know, this is why we need the migrant worker, workers because Americans won't work and things like this. It's not that Americans won't work. I mean, obviously, I work on dairy farms. I run my own business. I run my own homestead, and I still work on dairy farms. Right. Mm. The difference is is when you get into that field. Like I said, I provide a quality product, right? I'm I'm giving a pretty good quality product for the three or four hours you work. We're not willing to go work for a dairy farm for eight dollars an hour or minimum wage, twelve hour shifts, and, and without a break. That's the difference, and that's what people that are not in agriculture don't understand. Americans will work these jobs. We just will not be abused in these jobs. Right. So, have you, you know, had people that you've uh, just hired to work? for a wage and has um, that been a problem for you or you haven't gone there yet i haven't gone there yet and and i'll be honest with you um i'm not to that point because i you know because i'm one person doing this i'm kind of at my threshold as far as you know growing um and getting bigger and i'll be honest with you, once you start hiring people in that sense now we're talking workman's comp and and right. and i don't know anything about that <laughs> Yeah, it's a whole other thing. Have you tried like uh, underground greenhouses or like growing in containers, you know, trying to do something year round or you know, uh, what are the negatives well, of that? I, so I have a, a 37 by 47 high tunnel uh, hoop house. Okay. Hmm. And I also have the ability to put up calipiter uh, tunnels and things like that to extend my season all the way through like the first week of January. Here in Wisconsin, now I have a wood-burning stove in my hoop house. Technically, I could heat that thing and I could grow all year. Of course, it would have to be cool crop. It would have to be low-light crops because come October, we're in the dark here. And that's what a lot of people don't get. I mean, it's, you know, you can still grow crops up here, but we don't have sun. So growing things, like even Illinois, they can have hoop houses and they can grow tomatoes year-round. We can't do that up here. We just don't have enough sunlight for it. So the amount of labor and the amount of energy and resources it takes for me to fill that stove up three times a night is not worth the economic outcome 
at the end of the day. So what I do is I use it to extend my seasons two months on every end, on each end, two months into the fall and two months earlier in the spring. And then I take, I take January and February off. It's not that I'm not planting in February, but I'm not harvesting. So, and, and to be honest with you, anybody that runs a CSA needs two to three months off a year. (laughs) Oh, the work's pretty intense. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. The work, it's very rewarding, but it's very intense. By the end of your 21, 22 weeks, you're ready for a break. So what have you uh, grown that, you know, just, it just didn't work out for some reason. And what did you grow that like worked really well? Any suggestions there for people that want to, you know, do the same? Well, you know, what I teach people is, is first of all, you know, know your climate. That's the most important thing. You know, I'm, I'm zone four here, almost to zone three B. I'm like right on the edge. You don't come into Wisconsin thinking you're going to grow okra with success unless you have other methods to increase your heat value. You know what I mean? So know your climate. That's what I tell people. Are you in a dry, arid climate? Are you in a hot climate, wet, humid, whatever it is? And then adapt your practices to that. Now, here's an example. It was about four years ago. We had just a really cool, wet season. I mean, I'm not kidding you. If we had four days without rain that summer, that was it. Tomatoes. uh, Now, remember, I told you that I save my heirloom seeds every year. Okay. I harvest those. I save those. I was the only person within five miles that had tomatoes. And I'm going to tell you why, because I saved those seeds. And throughout the years, my tomatoes that have experienced blights and different diseases Mm-hmm. I specifically go pick the fruit off of those that have that disease and I save that seed because that is the most natural form of an inoculation. They've been exposed to the disease, they have overcome it, they made it through and they've got a natural immunity to it. That exists in plants too and people don't realize it. So I had been saving seeds for years with the intent to just have wait, a, you know. Wait, so you get- save seeds from plants that had been attacked by the blight? Yeah, you planted those same seeds and then therefore they were immune to it. They're either immune all the way or they they at least have a and I don't like the word immune system, but that's as close as we have. But they have an immune or they have the ability to fight it better, if that makes sense. So I have yeah, that makes saving, sense. I've, I've never heard of anyone approaching it that way, but it makes total sense. Right, right. And that's I cool. have been saving seeds for 10 years, exposing them to diseases, various things. And we then we get this really cold, wet season. And we had, we happened to have a hundred mile an hour, a wind wind that came through. I lost 300 tomato plants. I didn't, I shouldn't say I didn't lose them, but they were just at that point where they were ready to be trellised and and pruned. And we had this wind come through and knock everything down. It was a tangly mess. I couldn't. So it knocked down your your hoop house and exposed the tomatoes and they died? No, it didn't knock down. These were outside tomatoes, but I couldn't trellis. I couldn't prune. I couldn't do the things that you normally would do to fend off disease. Okay. I had to leave them lay there on the ground and just hope at the end of the season, I actually had tomatoes. Now we had people that had, you know, tomatoes out in a field, (laughs) you know, all, all pruned properly, all put up that were just overtaken by blight because it was so wet that year. I don't, I didn't have a neighbor around here that had tomatoes, but I had tomatoes. I I mean, I took a hit, but I still had about a 50% yield when they had almost zero. You know, so that's, you know, the sustainability 
when we talk about sustainability, the, the word sustainability has got kind of been perverted over the years. It's kind of been politicized and, and it's been used for nefarious reasons. And But when I look at the word sustainability, it's, it is economically sustainable, it is physically sustainable, environmentally sustainable, and every which way you can use that word. And so I'm able to sustain my tomato production by breeding in disease resistant plants. It's, it's a self-sustaining cycle. And you won't get that by buying seeds online. You won't get that by going to the Amish greenhouses that are in just about every state. I always warn people, be ready for blight because they have their tomatoes in the same spot every year, every year, any kind of greenhouse that, you, you know, and none of the tables get washed. So these are the things I, I teach people yeah, but wouldn't they wouldn't they have been exposed then the tomatoes that have been in an area the same every year and yeah, wouldn't they be resistant to blight then? Not not baby seeds. You have to be able to get that plant from exposure to fruit. Okay, you have to get it all the way through. And okay. I'm going to tell you, it's it's about eighty five to ninety percent of the time you're not going to get that plant to you know to to have fruit at the end that you can harvest seeds from. Because if you get if you get an early blight and it's early enough. You know, you, you're not even having proper seeds at that point, you know, or, or maybe you don't even have fruit on the tree at that point and the, and the whole plant just dies before you even get tomatoes. So but if it gets to I'm, a certain point, like you said, then the seeds have been somewhat inoculated. And they yes. Be yes. But, but understand if you're able to save them seeds, that's great. But if you don't know what you're dealing with and you don't know how to get through the blight, you don't know how to prune, you don't know how to you know, add calcium for calcium deficiency. You don't understand disease or lack in nutrients. It, it's hard to get through those trials. And you know, I tell people all the time, you know, in the preparedness world, because, you know, I, I teach preparedness. I teach people how to go out and get first three months of groceries extra, six months up to a year and so on and so forth, right? But I tell people all the time, if you can't replace these groceries, if the system isn't there to support you, you're up a creek without a paddle. And don't assume that you can just go outside in the dirt and plant a seed and it's going to, and it's going to grow and you're going to know what to do with it. Yeah. You know, it took me eight years to get to where I am with disease and, and all these other issues that come up, you know. Can, can you just watch YouTube and they'll tell you everything that is? <laughs> kind of kidding. Kind of kidding. You know, yes and no. Yes and no. I, honestly, um, I don't believe anybody has to go into a two or four year, you know, debt through college to, to learn the things that I do here. That's I didn't do that. You certainly don't have to do that. But you have to have people around you to guide you. That's kind of what I'm trying to do with my Zoom meetings. You know, I tell people to send me pictures, you know, if they got problems and things like this, so I can help walk them through these, the, you know, the issues. But it's YouTube is is offers a lot. But at the same time, it's not, it's not like hands-on, you know what I mean? It's, it's right. not like calling somebody and saying, Hey, can you help me out? You know? Okay. Um, you know, your idea sparked a question in my mind. So let's say you had a really cold summer one year, if you kept the seeds, you know, from plants that went to literally fruition, do you think they would be better adapted to, a, you know, to growing in a cold season? Let's say if you're able to preserve the seeds for a couple of years and it Absolutely. gets cold, it's, you know. Absolutely within reason. And, and I say that because some, you know, like, like a tomato or a bell pepper, right? It's a warm season crop. 
but there are bell peppers. Now, most bell peppers, like new folks down south, you know, they can grow the heck out of bell peppers. We have a couple varieties up here that do good in cold weather. Why? Because growers recognized the varieties and they save those seeds year after year and they adapted them to our climate. So absolutely those seeds can adapt to climate. But again, you get a summer where the average temperature is 55 degrees. That's that's a challenge for anybody unless you got like a, a low tunnel, caterpillar tunnel or, or what have you, you know? Okay. So that's strategy. But again, it can work for a lot of different things. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's excellent. Um, so what's your plans uh, going forward? You know, you've put in many years, you've learned what to do. Uh, you've had a CSA. I mean, what are your plans for, you know, going forward the next few years? Do you want to expand? Do you just want to maintain? Do you want to improve margins? What are you looking to do? For right now, I want to maintain what I'm doing. And I really want to focus on the education part of things. I, I really want to teach people how to be producers and how to do it independent from the system, how to have, you know, private food comes and truly private food cups so that we don't have situations like what, what we have online where you see certain groups of people or certain farms getting having the USDA and stuff, you know, raiding their house. Really? 75% of yeah, there's there's a lot of that that goes on. Really? The, the problem with it is, I even made a video on this this week, is these people claim that they're a private food club, but they're actually not. They're engaging in interstate commerce. They're having a third party shipping their food across state lines. They're doing all these things, and they're claiming to be private business. You know, my mom didn't raise an idiot. She told me you can't play in the devil's great playground and not get burnt. If you're going to play in the devil's playground, you better be, you know, have the tools and, you know, to, to stand side by side. And so we got a lot, we got these farmers out there, they're claiming to be private business owners or private food clubs. And they're saying that the government's picking on me, the government's picking on me, but they're not truly private. And then what it does is, is it creates a problem for the rest of us that are actually doing it right. Right. We're flowing, we're going under the radar here. We're doing business and we're staying within the law and uh, the people are healthy you know, I'm not I'm not out here butchering a cow in, you know, in the backyard or in my right. private facility and shipping it over state. I'm not doing that. I'm sticking within the guidelines. And so then and then what happens is it shines it shines a dark shadow on the rest of us that are doing it right. And then we get the state or we get the federal government that wants to shut everybody down. So I want to teach people how to do this the right way to, to stay within the legal guise you know, the, the guidelines, okay. you know, because you know, as well as I do that government just wants more and more and more and more. And right now, any farmers that are trying to stay within the regulations, they have their freezers licensed, right? They're, they're using USDA processors, which is getting harder and harder to do because there's not enough processing facilities. They're trying to stay within all these regulations but government is just, you know, clamping down harder and harder. And all of it does is it puts more small producers out of business. So I want to teach people to do this the right way so that that they are within the guidelines of, of regulations and law and not cast a shadow on this system, you know. So that's my goal, teaching and and growing and expanding that way. And I really do want to focus a lot more on bulk sales. I would love, I would love in the next two years to have a 100% you pick bulk sale 
uh, farmstead here so that I would have not just, you know, raspberries and strawberries and things like that, which most people have for you pick, but beans, tomatoes. And, and then, then I got people coming and they are picking their, you know, they're picking their produce, they're picking their vegetables and fruits, and I'm not having to commit that labor. I've, they're engaging in their own labor force, which is fantastic. <laughs> okay. Well, very good. Um, where do you recommend people start learning about, you know, growing their own food? Like, how do they dip their toe in if they have no experience, if they've never done anything like this before, and they just want to start experimenting and growing a little bit for themselves, maybe offsetting, you know, 5% right. of their calories, 2%, something. Right. Well, again, people can go to channels like mine and go back through the playlists and things like that and look at videos that people have made. But I do suggest people to go out, and I don't even care what kind of gardening book it is, Gardening for Dummies 101, Gardening Basics, you know, what, whatever it is, and get a physical hardcover book and start growing, start learning from that book. Because, you know, if the internet ever goes down, if these phones disappear, whatever, you got to have something tangible in your hands that gives you, shows you what diseases are, shows you how to rectify the situation. You have to have that in your hands. So books, books, definitely. YouTube is great. Like I said, it doesn't fulfill everything, but it's, it's the next best thing to hands-on formal education. Okay. Yeah, no, that's excellent. And where can people find out more about you specifically? Like, uh, can you just restate the name of your channel and everything? Yes, my channel is Sustainable Stewards YouTube, and I'm I'm also on Instagram. Same same name, Sustainable underscore Stewards. I don't do a lot of education things on there. I just show people how what we're harvesting and you know all that picture kind of stuff. But yeah. um, you can also contact me at Sustainable dot stewards the number seven at gmail.com i do offer my private zoom meetings and that is more of a hands-on type of of communication and we meet with five to ten other people and everybody talks and shares the challenges that they're having so it's kind of a group mind think which is really awesome because it really stretches everybody's thought process on producing food yeah okay well, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving uh, your wisdom and being honest with what worked and what didn't. It's a, it's a big help. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation. Remember, before you go, to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing, all natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to geniuspollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit GeniusPollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.